In the Chicago neighborhood of Cabrini Green, an urban legend has terrorized the residents with fear. A fearsome spirit with a hook for a hand and a fondness for bees who can only be summoned by saying his name into a mirror five times. A graduate student wants to write a thesis on the legend and summons him into her life, destroying dozens of lives in the process. Be his victim and say his name. I can't make it past four. I'm Connor Izagari. And I'm Caleb Legit. I'm Josh Allred. And this is Filmgasm. Happy Wednesday. Welcome to the 151st episode of the Filmgasm podcast. With the release of the new Candyman this weekend, we felt it was finally time to revisit the original 90s classic. I've been waiting for this episode for years now because I wanted to time it with the new one. Here we are. Great. <laughs> it's about was, damn time. Once was a last minute delay. I heard about the whole uh, potential with, um, what's it called, Venom. They're getting real cold feet on that movie. Yeah, I think we're all going to be just fine. That's the blind blanket statement I'm choosing to believe in now. They did FDA approve that uh, the Pfizer, so I think we'll be fine. Yeah, just fine. Yeah, just fine. <laughs> I've been waiting for this shit too damn long. I gotta, I gotta believe this is happening. <laughs> I have a ticket already to go see a Friday sleep. Better not fucking delay it. <laughs> just make sure you got your hazmat suit. You take a fucking fucking steam bath beforehand. That's all. It'll be fine. I feel like. If they delayed it now, that is some petty bullshit. I mean, it's coming out in three days. <laughs> that, that won't happen. It won't happen. Please don't let that happen. <laughs> we, we're doing the Candyman episode right now. We will look like total fucking schmucks. Or I will, anyway. If this comes out now and the new one doesn't. It just means that when it would come out, we'll do Candyman 2. <laughs> Must we? Hey, look, that's, it's better than it's better than the third one. That's all I'll say. So you better not hope they delay enough that we have to do Candyman 3. Then it's just bad for everyone. <laughs> we just get trapped in a loop of fucking Candyman. I don't, now I'm now I'm paranoid. Thanks so much. Wait, who's Bro. been keeping count? How many times have we said it? I was three. There's no mirror. We're good. We're good. Yeah. Yeah, we're good. Yeah, there is. Oh, fuck. Were you staring into it, though? No. No. Then we're good. <laughs> For now. Just just say him at this point onward. Dude, we would be the most popular podcast in the world if somehow Josh summoned Candyman and it fucking killed him right now. Jesus. Well, that was four, so. <laughs> that was quick. We got a, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be saying it a lot. It's the name of the movie. I can't just not say it. <laughs> oh, uh, we hope you enjoyed our uh, forgasm last week with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. We definitely had a blast. Look forward to doing more roundtable style episodes in the future. Uh, yeah, I, that was so much fun. <laughs> yeah, I actually I'm actually looking forward to the day where it is a little more cantankerous, I'll say. Where, where there is a little bit more of uh, divided opinions. Um, not just because it makes for great radio, 
or anything like that. Just because I feel like if people have differing opinions, it makes for a much more interesting discussion than if it's just like, oh God, you, you remember that part? And you're like, oh yeah, dude. And then it just sounds like it's a circle jerk of appreciation, which is fine. You know, everybody's entitled to that every now and again. However, film being the subjective medium that it is, if there are differing opinions, I think it makes for a much more lively discussion. Ironically, that's why I suggested the Texas Chainsaw Massacre too. We, I fully expected that exact scenario to happen. <laughs> oh, trust me, I was ready. I was ready. I was gonna. I was gonna. I mean, basically, all the stuff I said was all of my ammo for why it should be appreciated and why you know, it's not all down to it being Toby Hooper's fault that that movie is what it is. However, I will say that what he was able to get is wonderful. I fucking love it. It's probably outside of the first one it's my favorite sequel that's ever been made like period of any sequel of any movie period it's one of my favorites it's one of my Damn. favorite part twos yeah that's high praise <laughs> yeah definitely better than pitch black too i'll say that <laughs> you have your opinion pitch black is a fucking great movie spoilers Spo- spoilers Goddamn. Oh, I can't wait. Chronicles of Riddick sucks. You're right, but Pitch Black does not. <laughs> well, guys, tell me <laughs> tell me about your first experience with Candyman. <laughs> Where did you first see this? Well, since I might as well go first, since I might die tonight. These fuckers cursed me. <clears throat> uh, so we came out in 92. I think when I saw it, I was like 12, maybe 13. So it had been out for a few years. Um, I was already exposed to a lot of those urban legends and, you know, Bloody Mary in the mirror and all, ooh, really scary shit like that. And it's, and it's kind of just like this, this test of wills to see who will actually stay in there long enough to actually go through with it. And who's just going to chicken out and run away. Uh, spoiler alert. I did not chicken out and run away. Cause I was like, this shit isn't real. But then I was also in the back of my head going, what if it is real? What if it is real? And that to me is one of the greatest things that Candyman plays with. That movie really does, it really gets its mileage out of that whole concept. Um, I didn't get a chance to finish reading it before the show. I was reading The Forbidden and they're very similar in what um, Clive Barker was talking about um, and kind of how, you know, it's, it's really a story about class and how those kinds of people are forgotten. And if terrible, awful things happen in a place like that, who really cares? Because the cops aren't going to show up. And if they do, they're not going to do anything. So it really, it really starts, and then when you find out that the the whole thing that Helen is there for is to study an urban legend, it's like, well, wait, well, like, what's happening? Like, is it real? Is it not? Like, who's doing this? And kind of how somebody invokes the boogeyman to do evil things, never fully realizing that the boogeyman is literally standing right behind it, ready to take him out. Yeah, this movie really kind of toes the line between reality and imagination. Really, 
there's little hints that Candyman might be in her head or, you know, the wider power of this being and who, like, we'll get into that. But um, yeah, it's brilliant. Uh, I wish I was able to read The Forbidden. I don't have any Barker. Well, I might be able to transmit some to you. If you are, I mean, it's it's an ebook, so I don't know how fond you are of doing that, but scratch an itch. Yeah, you like to read it. Yeah, sure, I'll, I'll get into that. Uh, Caleb, how about you? When did you first see Candyman? Uh, I was still late on this. I think I watched uh, college, actually. I think it was on Netflix for a little bit, and I finally streamed it. And um, I remember it actually, this took a while to grow on me at first. And then when I first saw it, I was like, oh, okay, it's a pretty good movie. Didn't really think much of it at the time. And then as the years went on and I was, I watched, I hadn't found myself watching it a couple more times after that, I was like, this is a really good fucking movie. And it, you know, it took a while, but like the more grimy, I think it's like, cause I realized just how compared to like what we knew about that whole 90s decade of horror, with you know, it or died and scream saved and all that shit. Um, and the whole self-aware thing that happened when Skin came out, like, this came out in 92, I believe. And um, it's, like uh, Josh said, it's playing with urban legends in a really smart way. Like, the whole movie, I think Candyman himself is only in it, like, what, five, ten minutes tops? Most of it is wondering, like, is he real? Like, is this her doing it? She's, like, losing her mind. Um, it was a, a lot of cool stuff. A lot of hints towards... um other things that it looks like the new movie is going to be picking up on that cot when I was watching it this time. Um, so it, you know, yeah, it took a while, but yeah, this, I'm going to really like this. This is easily like, I mean, it's right up there. Hellraiser and any other Clyde Barker adaptation I've seen. Right on. I'm in the same boat. I, uh, I watched this for the first time because it was on Netflix and I heard it was one of those horror movies you should watch. And I wasn't that jazz. And then years later, I, on a whim, bought a director's cut Blu-ray at Walmart and thought, hmm, all right. And I watched it again, and I'm like, this is pretty fucking awesome. And I don't know what it was about that second viewing that, you know, triggered something in me where I'm like, this is, I, I was into it now, and I'm, I get it. And it goes back to what we were talking about last week. It really does, some movies take more than one viewing to fully appreciate, and in this case, Candyman was one for me. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's so much to like a lot about this film. Uh, I'm excited to get into it. Uh, so as we said, Candyman originated as a short story by Clive Barker called The Forbidden, which can be found in his collection In the Flesh, also called Books of Blood, Volume 5, that was published in 1986. And uh, in the story, the story takes place in, uh, I think, Liverpool. And uh, more than likely, that's where a lot of this stuff was set. Yeah. And Candyman is a spectral white kind of ginger figure and uh, definitely represents the like the lower working class uh, figures of England at the time. Uh, I think translating it to the projects was brilliant <laughs> uh, to make it work in the States. We, well, we well, the setting of it um, in the Forbidden, they're called like council estates and things like that. It's the same thing. 
they're literally the same type of buildings. It's the same kind of housing. You pack in as many people as you can into these low rent places and collect government checks. And the people there are either like on welfare or dealing drugs, things like that. It's, it's essentially a like for like swap as far as that goes. Um, you, it, it probably isn't as heavily tied into race as I think this is. Oddly enough, coming from a white British director who wrote and directed it, um, I, I also think the fact that Clive Barker was an executive producer for it really made sure that they weren't going to stray too far from what he did and really took his his input, whatever it was, and getting the, the best story on screen. Because I think that the overarching themes are very much easy to work with, especially in the States and especially in a city like Chicago, where that line is so stark. Well, I know that uh, prior to Hellraiser, Barker was really pissed about studios fucking up his work. And so he did it himself with Hellraiser. And then I'm, I, it's not surprising he would maintain a significant hand in any projects of his going forward. And I'm glad he did because I'm sure he had a hand in kind of helping craft the tone of this thing which I think for me next to the score is the strongest element of this movie. Absolutely. Um, I listened to an episode of the movie crypt where uh, Joe Lynch and Adam green talked to Bernard Rose and he really goes in depth on what he really loved about the story and kind of what he wanted to do. Um, Yeah. I highly recommend you check it out. Anybody that, that listens to that podcast that happens to um, also listen to the movie Crypt. Yeah, you see what I did there? I thought I was talking about that. No, no, no. If you're listening to this, these guys, go listen to those guys. Um, they they do a really good job. And they talk a lot about that. Kind of love a lot about what Bernard Rose wanted to do with it. And for me, at first, like you, like I really was scared shitless by it. Like the whole story really scared the fuck out of me. And only later as I kept watching it and really started to understand that I really enjoyed watching movies did the other elements that are really, really strong in it really started to resonate with me. The fact that like the Philip Glass music is very dreamlike at points. It's very haunting and it's its own entity, not to mention the, 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 the soundtrack that accompanies a lot of Candyman's presence and things like that. Um, a lot of the cinematography and the shots and all that and all that stuff. It really kind of just it kind of just sucks you in. Yeah, well, I love how the movie lulls you into a false sense of security with the fake Candyman. Like the Candyman, just some drug dealer that they finally put away, and then the fucker shows up for real. Like you doubted me. That's my favorite scene when he pops up in the in the parking garage. Like, hey, forgetting forgetting something. Like, oh, my God, just the the echo of Tony Todd's voice in the garage. That man has maybe the scariest voice on Earth. And to think it almost wasn't him. I got that part. <laughs> I know. Like, unbelievable. Uh, this was so this was almost Eddie Murphy. I can't fucking see it after Tony Todd aced it so well. 
But no, it, like you were saying, this is a movie that to me really rewards you if you watch it multiple times. Like I usually am one like watch a movie once or twice, get a feel for it if I have to. But like this is one that like I feel like you to really watch it, you have to like you should probably watch it a couple times and really have good film knowledge. Because like I said, when I was first getting into film, this was one that just made me go, I don't get the hype. But then as I watched it more and acquired more film knowledge, it was like, okay, I'm okay. It's clicking. I'm seeing. I'm, and then that's when I started to really like this movie. Like really, really like this movie. Yeah. This was my third viewing and it really does, you know, everything you watch is a constant, like, you know, snowball down the hill effect of just constantly growing and reinforcing everything else you watch. And uh, I'm a firm believer in that. And I love it. Yeah, it's, I think, I think one of the things I really, I really find the most powerful about it is it says a lot without being very in your face about it. Because I'm, I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll get into it a little bit more. Um, it's, it's very much saying a lot about, I mean, and, and Helen even brings it up at one point when she talks about her condo and how it was originally a project itself and it was bought and then turned into condos because it had a nice view and they could make more money off of it. And then the, the whole history of it. And it's just, it's, gentrification things that happen where you know that it's it's all made to make another group of people suffer and live in shit because you want to have a nice view and these big fancy fucking windows and you're the biggest yuppie piece of shit ever and yet you would be brazen enough to walk into a place where you know you're not supposed to fucking go but because you think that you're this fucking university fucking person that you're not a threat to anybody when everyone is fucking watching you, everyone is fucking watching you. And the moment they get you alone, they will do whatever they want to with you. I've been to places like that. I've had friends that were like, you cannot go there unless you are with me. I have done those things. I've been in those situations and it's fucking scary because at your core, the kind of person I am, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a mean, malicious, racist person. I'm not. I mean, I'm, I'm half Mexican, so like, how could, you know, not, not many people know that about me. But like, it, it's still, it's still so strange that like you want to be able to feel connected to other people and to show people that you have nothing to fear from me. I probably hate the same people you hate, and yet. If I walked down your street and I was by myself, I'd probably get mugged. Like, and it's just, and those are the very simple, painful truths of the world that we live in. And Candyman says so much about all of that, all of that. And I don't think anybody outwardly addresses it, except for when Helen first gets to Cabrini Green and those dudes are following her around when she first gets there. It's about really the only time. Well, Candy. Oh, go ahead. She says about the cop. Sorry, there's a line she says about the cop also. She's uh, she's like, you know, if that was a black one, they wouldn't have done anything. But a white one does it, the whole force comes out. Yeah. So. It's unfortunate. You can kind of view Candyman himself as almost like the soul of all this, like the, the soul of all this hatred, like manifested. 
like he is the avenging spirit of the projects almost like it's like all this you know fear and animosity had to go somewhere and it i've always viewed Candyman as a tulpa yeah you know a, a being manifested by pure belief and well there it is that's, that's, well, I mean, that's my point and going back to the urban legends, like, you know, like, you know, we have urban legends about different states and stuff like that. But like you guys know, we've all grown up in different towns and stuff. All towns have their their boogeyman, their their myth. Uh, I'm sure in cities like it's shown here, it's certain areas have their myth. Right. Mm-hmm. For, for Beanie Green, it's Candyman. That's their boogeyman. That's their myth. That's their legend. And, you know, the movie makes a real good point of showing like how much these people believe in how that. The relationship between that legend and that uh, district, that housing area, plays a big role in this. Um, what I like about this, I know I've said like ad nauseum, but like talking about this stuff, like this is the type of film I talk about when I say like it has political message, but it doesn't get in the way of like giving me my a good story or characters or scares, all that stuff I want in a movie, right? This film does a really good job being able to balance both. That it, and it doesn't, like you were saying, Josh, it's not hit you over the hair with it. It's very subtle, and you do pick it up as you're watching. Yeah. But it doesn't hit you over the head, and that's what I like. That This is what I'm talking about. This is what I like. I don't, you don't need to pound me over the head with it. I, I will get it. I'm smart. I'll get it when I'm watching. Dare I say it's handled in an artful way? Touche. <laughs> Touche. Um, it looks like the new one, just judging from the trailers, is very much going to continue this uh, this message of you know every neighborhood has a soul, and as many you know you can rebuild it as many times as you want, but Cabrini Green will always be the home of Candyman. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited to see the next step, like the next stage of this. I'm excited to see that, and then like like I said, we'll get into more, but like rewatching this, I watched it yesterday for uh, this. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and kind of thinking about the trailer, you know, when she like Helen picks up the candy with the razor blades, I'm like, oh shit, that's right. The trip, I'm like, because I had spent so long since I watched it that I was like, oh wow, they really did do their homework for this upcoming one. Cause it's, yeah, like that aspect of like, you know, what candy represents for the community, but also those little things like, you know, that candy that we saw is not going to play a part into. Because like urban legends, right? They get twisted over the years. They're not the same as what we started with. So we got twisted into that. Yeah. And then, you know, and just things like that. And the fact that the main character is a little baby from the first movie, like it's real. There's, I know we're, we're here for the original, but there's a lot of cool stuff with this upcoming one that makes me really, really excited. Yeah. It's hard not to speculate. You know, we're, we've been thinking about that. We were supposed to get this movie last year. So we've been, we've been thinking about this for a long time now and, you know, making our own assumptions. Uh, yeah, I think this is very much going to be exciting for us. Uh, so we talked about uh, Bernard Rose wrote and directed this film. Um, he directed a number of other films. Uh, none of them were anywhere near as successful as Candyman. But one I do want to point out is uh, 1994's Immortal Beloved. Have you guys ever seen that? I heard of it. Isn't that the okay. one about Beethoven? Yeah. 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 I, I haven't seen it, but I read up on it when I read the Phantom Limbs that he did on by discussing about his sequel that he wanted to do to Candyman. So, oh, what ideas did he have about pretty good idea? He, yeah, uh, his initial ideal was actually to do 
and Josh, correct me if I'm saying any of this wrong, um, but he wanted to use Jack the Ripper over in England and it'd be uh, a female cow be our protagonist. So and he said the idea was like the first came in was about race. This one would be about gender. So it'd be a female cop investigating these Jack the Ripper-like slayings that are happening all over uh, modern-day England with flashbacks to the actual time period because he was very much in love with that period. And, um, you know, and then it would it would end where, like, you know, it finds out, like, this, like, some kind of, like, their version of the Masonic Lodge or Secret Society is all in on it, and following just get so fucking mm. wild at the end. And that was mm-hmm. his initial, that was his initial ideal to them. I like Jack the Ripper. Secret Society shit sounds too much like Halloween 6 to me. I don't, I feel like that could go <laughs> south really fast. Yeah. Well, that's what he first pitched, and then eventually... Uh, he did come up with an actual, like, well, not almost actual, but another ideal, which would he said would be an actual direct continuation um, from that, from the first film, actually still being Cabrini Green, so bring back a lot, a lot of these elements and be a more faith, like, true on sequel. But by the time, like, he got to that, I think came in two or some shit already come out, but they're getting ready to do that one. And he was, it was the time was done. He was like, all right, whatever. They had like three or four different ideals. At one point, there was supposed to be a Candyman four potentially um, Midnight Meat Train. Just gonna meld those two stories together. Hmm. Like, yeah, there's a lot of wild, unmade um, sequel ideals on this franchise. Barker likes, you know, otherworldly creatures who must pass on a legacy of sorts. He does that a lot. He's big on legacy. I wonder where that comes from. I think it might have some connection to his father. I think maybe um, there's a really great interview with uh, Clive Barker and Mick Garris for Mick Garris' podcast. Oh, it's really, really good. good. He talks about oh, an early was... childhood memory uh, of being at an air show and watching this guy who was a known uh, acrobat and like a guy that would like jump out of planes and fly. And he watched this guy go splat. Fuck. Ooh. Yep, that'll mess you up. Yeah. Jesus. Um, well, he also, uh, Bernard Rose also did uh, Frankenstein movie, I believe. And Tony Todd plays the blind man. Oh, cool. Didn't know that. Um, I remember Immortal Beloved because I remember finding out about this movie where Gary Oldman played Beethoven. I was like, what? I need to see that. And it was a surprisingly touching movie that got just universally panned. I was a little surprised. Like it's a very, it follows Beethoven's uh, secretary as he tries to trace the source of this love letter that was found in Beethoven's will uh, addressed to his immortal beloved. He tries to find the identity of this woman. And uh, the results may shock you, but it's a uh, it's a good movie. Okay, well, I know he did it because when he was saying he pitched, because what happened with like the whole Candyman sequel, apparently the producer he was working with when he made the first this first one hated the movie, like just fucking hated it. And I think he had to get to like a different company, and then they finally released it, and it was good to go. As soon as it became a success, this producer came to him and was like, "Oh no, I love it. Let's do a sequel." And then he pitched that idea that I told you. And the guy was like, I'm not really down for that. 
but Immortal Beloved was like his passion project, like what he wanted to make and had gotten passed up constantly. And thanks to the Candyman cloud and then him saying no to his Candyman 2 sequel, he just went, okay, and was able to finally successfully pitch Immortal Beloved and got that made instead. That's awesome. And kind of ironic that nobody remembers Immortal Beloved, but everybody remembers Candyman. That's that's cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> Oscar nominee Virginia Madsen plays Helen Lyle, a grad student investigating local folklore. Madsen was nominated for a performance in 2004's Sideways, also appeared in The Prophecy, Dune, The Rainmaker, Ghost of Mississippi, and most recently the short-lived DC series Swamp Thing. Uh, I like her a lot in this. Uh, despite her very prolific catalog, I haven't seen a lot of her work. And what I have seen, I, I don't really remember her, but she really knocks it out of the park in Candyman. Yeah, she was really good in a uh, swamp thing, you know. One fucking season I got out of that show. Fuck you, DC. Uh, no, she's really good in this. She is awesome, especially if you look at the leads they got for the next two movies. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, oh. I mean, after after this, the the focus was all about Tony Todd being Candyman. I mean, that was. Like he was, I, I think he was supposed to be just like this ethereal presence and not necessarily be the focus. And you get somebody who commands the screen the way he did and what he was able to bring out of it. There is a certain sympathy when you hear his story yeah. and, you, and, you, and you find out that he was fucking murdered the way he was and he was just treated so ruthlessly yeah. and the, you and you're you're totally on his side but you're like yeah fuck yeah go after these motherfuckers go kill some fucking people and shit dude like that's the least you can do yeah Candyman is a violent spirit built you know born in in hate in rage in fear and yeah it's a little satisfying to see him get his there's something about like super likable about tony todd that you you're a little afraid of him, but you're also like, yeah, it's Candyman. He just has a screen presence. And you know, uh, I know you didn't quite get into it, but he's in an episode of Holliston. They play on what you just said big time in that episode for comedic effect. And it's, it's really, really funny. <laughs> I loved him in uh, the Hatchet franchise. <laughs> oh, my God. He is so good. Yeah. This whole story about how he, you know, he won't go do night tours anymore. His whole like, and then I got sued. Like that was so goddamn funny. <laughs> He's just so like, he has such a great, um, a great ability to, uh, and timing for comedy. And it, another thing like he, I, I, you have to correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he started out in theater at first. And so like, he has this way of like bringing out these grand expressions and movements and in a way to like, turn on a dime as a character because some of the things that he does in that Holliston episode Caleb was talking about he literally is like the the and it's and it's ironic you brought it up because when I was setting everything up I was started playing that episode and the the episode starts with Adam Green and Joe Lynch you know, coming out of a commercial break from screening Candyman and Tony Todd's just slumped over with his fucking hook in his hand and he's just like thank you so much for coming here, Tony. And he just pops up and he's like, yeah, it was really great to see you guys. It was, all, it was such a good experience. And 
you just like totally just blowing them off because he's fucking sleeping and it's just like little moments like that like really show you just how good he is and his moment in hatchet where he comes out with his fake ass caribbean accent and the next thing you know he's like he just breaks it because he's pissed off at the the, the thought of getting sued and getting fucked over so that's why he's not doing anything again and you're just like holy fuck like that says so much about this character that you don't need words for. You're like, oh, this guy's totally full of shit. He's just a fucking con man. Like, of course, of course he's going to come to you fucking face painted and fucking speaking this shitty Jamaican accent just to fucking take your money. He's also really good with the Dark Hammer. Um, I know we don't, it's not talked about as much, but like his turn in the Found Destination franchise as Bloodworth. He he's really good in that. Like he he can be like really creepy, but he has like dark humorous moments when he's talking about death and like how it comes after them and like the the little glee you see in his eye when he's talking about how death is going to get its revenge and get what it's owed. Like it, he's just he's good. He's just fucking good. He knows how to command a screen whenever he's on it. I I wouldn't know. I've only seen the first Final Destination, and I wasn't, I wasn't a fan. But that was a while back. I acknowledge that. <laughs> Apparently, every movie I've ever hated, it was just not the right mindset. I guess. <laughs> exactly. Uh, let's go further into Tony Todd. Uh, he plays Candyman. His real name in the franchise is revealed to be Daniel Robitaille. Uh, he would reprise the role in two sequels and the upcoming reboot. Also appeared in the film's Final Destination, The Rock, Hatchet, Transformers, Revenge of the Fallen, Hellfest, and he voiced the villain Zoom in season two of The Flash. Completely forgot about that. Oh, yeah, that's when they were being, like, cool with them. They got, like, him one season, and then they got uh, Tobin Bell the next season. I was like, are they just going to keep pulling, like, horror actors known for their voices for this fucking show? And then they stopped doing it after that. I know, then it became formulaic. With those first three seasons... Pretty good. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I love Tony Todd. I'm so, so happy he's coming back for the new one, even if it's a fleeting cameo. Just to see him again is going to be exciting. Yeah. It's, it's actually fun because he's actually one of the few horror people that even my own mother knows. Because I remember, like, I was watching something. It was actually Flash. And his voice, when he started doing his voice, I was like, is that that Candyman guy? And I'm like, I was like, what the fuck just happened here? I was like, you don't know my movies. <laughs> He has the he's the uh, on the receiving end of maybe the worst one liner in Nicolas Cage's entire career in The Rock. Remember that? Was it the the Godspeed comment? No, it's the uh, you're the rocket man. Oh, (laughs) look, it's in the same. Look, it's in the movie that has the great line of only winners go home and fuck the prom queen. All right. You can't compete after that. I, I got nothing but love for The Rock. I just, I cringe at that line every time. Like, you know that song, The Ro- Rocket Man by Elton John? It's like, yeah, what about it? Well, uh, it's you. You're the Rocket Man. <laughs> Fuck, so stupid. But only only he could pull off that line. Yeah, only Nicolas Cage can pull it off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, moving on. Uh, character actor Xander Berkeley plays Trevor Lyle. Helen's husband and former teacher. I'm pretty sure that's, that's how they met, right? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh that's, yeah, 
Oh yeah. Clearly he is. He is using that as a farm system. He is clearly that teacher, if you will, at the college. I am going to tell you all a story of some weird shit that happened to me last week. I'm going to leave names out of this so it doesn't get traced back to me. Are you going to be that teacher? Is that what this is leading to? No, I had orientation last Thursday uh, for uh, graduate students and instructional assistants to like, you know, this is what you're supposed to do. This is what you're not supposed to do. Any questions? And this one guy in the second row, this weird balding dude raised his hand and asked about the policy regarding uh, instructional assistance and relationships with the students. And everyone kind of went, did he really just ask if he could date the students? <laughs> they gave a quick like, well, uh, we discouraged that. Like, try not to say like, you fucking creep. <laughs> but the whole time I'm staring this dude down from the back row, like, I'm, there's going to be a scandal in a few months. <laughs> this dude's going to try some shit. So yeah. That would have been me in that fucking auditorium or wherever you were. I would have been like, and everybody pay attention to what that guy looks like. He is going to be on the TV someday for some weird shit that he did or somebody is going to complain about him. He's in, he's in a couple of my classes and he keeps making shit weird with, with some women. I was about to say, someone's going to complain. You said he's weird and balding like that. That doesn't read like successful dating in that description. That reads like that guy's going to fucking get hit with some fucking scandal, some controversy involving shit he should not be doing. Nope. But the fact that he would ask that, like, this is the time we were supposed to ask about like scheduling and shit. This dude straight up, his only question was, can I date him? Yeah, I, I love that. Any questions? Can I fuck the students? Let's just get straight to the point. Can I... It would have been so much better if he just straight up gone for the fucking headshot with that. Just, can I fuck him? Yeah, <laughs> just yeah, to yeah, hear yeah. the reaction. Everything, everything that you said was great. I just want to know <laughs> if grass is on the field, can I play ball? <laughs> Can oh. I can I give them extra credit if you know what I mean? And I think you do. Uh, I know what this guy looks like. I've seen him many times, and this whole oh my god. <laughs> oh, even if he ends up hearing this by some miracle, he won't know it. it's fucked. What? I hope he knows it's what? about him. But what if he's in your probably not? Right probably not. He's probably like that guy sounds pretty fucking cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'd buy that guy a beer. Uh, what? What if he's in your apartment right now and you just get Ramboed on us? By that creep? I don't. Mm-hmm, maybe. I don't. Anything's possible. After hearing some dude, some creepy ass balding dude, just straight up ask, "Can I date him?" Yeah, I'm. I got to be prepared for anything now. Anyway, Xander Berkeley did that <laughs> in the movie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Excellent segue, Car- Connor. <laughs> I'll give you like a 10 out of 10 on that segue there. <laughs> Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Uh, Berkeley has been in so many iconic out. films. <laughs> four uh, stars. Check it out. Four stars. Uh, including Terminator 2, Judgment Day, Air Force One, Shanghai Noon, The Grifters, Apollo 13, Heat, Taken, and The Walking Dead as two-faced hilltop leader Gregory. 
Uh, I forgot how many incredible films Xander Berkeley's been a part of. Yeah, I forgot he was in The Walking Dead. I, I remember when he got cast, I was like, okay, whatever. Like, didn't think anything of it. And then I was watching him, I was like, is that fucker in The Walking Dead? Like, <laughs> I looked it up and I was like, oh shit, okay, my bad. He plays duplicitous piece of shit so well. It's like, every character he's ever played has been kind of a sleazebag. Almost <laughs> too well. Yeah. It, to me, he will always be John Connor's foster father, Todd, in Terminator 2. That's the first time I ever saw him. I'll never see him as anything else. Fucking just Todd. One of them, one you day. can never trust somebody whose name is Todd. Get the fuck out of here. It's funny. I was like, that's probably like the least sleaziest character he's played in what I've seen. Fucking lazy idiot. That's what it is. <laughs> the worst. Yeah, because like in this one, he's cheating with another student. In Walking Dead, he's quickly revealed to be a fucking coward that doesn't care about his people dying. And yeah, yeah, like just being a lazy foster parent is probably the least laziest thing he's done. Well, my favorite thing about him in T2 is when he's so annoying, he actively pisses off the T1000 enough to just stab him in the mouth. <laughs> like he's he's on, you know, he's disguised as a foster mother. He's on the phone talking to John. It sounds like it's going well. He doesn't need to kill Todd. He's just like, shut the fuck up and stabs him through what? the milk. Todd could have lived if Todd had kept his mouth shut, just grabbed his milk and left. He could have lived, but he didn't. Another sign yeah, of a douchebag just drinking milk drink right out the, the carton. carton. <laughs> just <laughs> fucking drink from the carton. That's what you get. That's what you get. <laughs> yeah, piece of shit. And he's no better in Candyman. I mean, you know, he's, I love that he is cheating on his wife who was a student with another fucking student. And she knows it. That's the fucked up part. Oh, yeah. That opening shot, like the when she goes to visit his class, and it's like you can you can tell, like, right how they're talking, and her face is like, she knows, dude. Like, if you're not secret about this, you're not coy at all. Well, he's even like, well, maybe she's madly in love with me. Like, fuck you, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's uh it's a great performance. I just am always wowed at how many times I see Xander Berkeley as just a despicable piece of shit character. He plays it so well. He's kind of been typecast. Like, has he ever played a hero? Like, ever? Not that I've seen. <laughs> I don't, I'm going to have to scour his career because I'm curious. Oh, Xander Berkeley. Um, Cassie Lemons plays Bernadette, Helen's best friend. Lemons has also appeared in The Silence of the Lambs, Vampire's Kiss, School Days, and she also wrote and directed the films Eve's Bayou and Harriet. Uh, so she's very accomplished. And uh, I, liked, I liked her character. Uh, I felt bad when she got really fucked up by Candyman. Yeah, I mean, she, she, she plays a really good friend. And, you know, he's obviously, like, even though she wants to get the thesis done, even she's like, you don't want to go to Pretty Green. Let's not go there. You don't need to go there, Helen. That's not not the place you need to be. Yeah. Should have heeded her friend's advice. Uh, I'm in, you know, I'm in the graduate program. And if I, you know, I'm in a non-thesis uh, program, thank God, I don't want to write a fucking thesis. I write enough shit for this whole thing. But... <laughs> If I if I had a thesis and it required me to go to like the most dangerous neighborhood in town, 
and I did it for the sake of art, I kind of deserve what I get. It's, it's my own pro- It's my own fault. I would have. I would have taken the F. Look, when it comes to like these scary, these scary movie scenarios, I'm constantly watching. Like, yeah, I want to do that. Hey, you want to go investigate this like weird noise in the dark house? No, I'll go away in the car. Have fun. We're sitting in the car with some AC and some goddamn music. I'll wait on you. Well, the thing is, like, even if she didn't go, she still had enough to write a coherent thesis and a decent work. She didn't have to go. She didn't well, have to start all this shit. She didn't have to, she but wanted. she wanted to because she was getting shit from these other academic turd nuggets that were at the fucking table. That one smug piece of shit who was like, I wrote about Candyman 10 years ago. What do you want to go down that road for? Get the fuck out of here. Like that motherfucker would have pushed me to go in spite. And that's actually something that is, and I don't have my phone on me right now. I made a note about it. I quoted it from uh, the, the forbidden and they talk about, he talk Barker writes about academics and now essentially they're, they just think they're, they're better than anybody else and she she definitely she definitely thought that was going to save her and that was going to give her a little bit of protection and it it doesn't offer you any protection especially when you're out in the real fucking world where they don't give a fuck that you're a graduate student you're just gonna do the writing come and look at our graffiti and study us like we're not fucking animals in a zoo you piece of shit like we're people and uh guess what you go to the place where you're not supposed to go, bad shit is going to fucking happen to you. And if you don't think that something bad can happen to you, that's when it happens to you. I think that was one of the best moments in Candyman where she calls his name out and then nothing happens because you're, you're expecting it. You're, you're thinking he's going to fucking show up behind her and he's going to murder her. But it's not. You know, it it they delay that gratification until it happens in the fucking daylight. That was another thing that I really loved about this movie is that a lot of it happens during the daytime. And that is always so much more effective and so much more jarring when you see that kind of stuff in 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 daylight. Like that whole scene in the parking garage is just like it's it's, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. You just hear him calling her name. She's like looking around. You can't see shit. And then you're just like, oh, and the first time he, he appears on screen, it's just like, oh, man, he is here. He is real. Mm-mm. This ain't going to be good, Helen. This ain't going to be good for you at all. Ew. It is. Yeah, it's quite effective. Um I love the like the weird dreamy way that they filmed that. Like Candyman's appearances all feel like you're watching a nightmare. It's so well done. I know part of that came from uh, Bernard Rose um, would hypnotize Virginia Madsen from time to time to try to get like perfect like vibe. But I guess it freaked her out so much they stopped doing it. Uh. Another another thing I wanted to point out, if you pay attention, I caught it before you were saying when they say it in the mirror finally five times, right? If you pay attention before that scene, they never say Candyman five times. 
my like ever. Pay attention to how many times they say it, and they keep hitting four, and then they stop. And then when they finally do that scene in the mirror, that's when they say it. I, I caught that one, like when she was asking the teachers, uh, I'm sorry, the chanters about the story. If you notice, I was counting. They hit four, and then all of a sudden it went from saying Candyman to, yeah, him and he. Like, I caught that real quick. The movie, again, being smart, using, you know, good filming techniques, makes a point to not say it yet until we get to that uh, bathroom scene when they, they finally say it. <laughs> that's that's a neat little touch. I didn't pick up on that. Um, yeah, I I loved uh, Josh's point about how like some of the most effective scares happen in daylight. That especially for me, the the most jarring one was the uh, the sudden murder of the uh, therapist. The therapist that <laughs> just he pops out from behind the chair with the hook and is like, "Oh shit, this is supposed to be a safe zone." Actually wrote that down it's like my favorite death scene in the movie. Like that's my favorite moment when he just fucking pops up behind there. Especially because like she says it five times and again he does not come immediately. In the you can even see the therapist like, oh my god, did I really just have to go? Okay. And as soon as you get that false sense of calm, next thing you know, you fucking see him twitching and blood coming out. And yeah, it's it's awesome. Well, Candyman. Like makes it pretty clear that his plan here is to drive her insane, to drive her to the brink where she'll have no choice but to accept his way of life. Yeah, he wants his bride. Yes. Nice. His bride of candy, man. That's a good title. That would have been a good good title that for her too. That was one of the proposed titles to oh. his sequel. Well, there you go. Well, I think it was really good the way that whole scene with the therapist was set up where he shows her the camera footage kind of forcing her to doubt what she actually saw in front of her and making her wonder if she is actually crazy and if she actually really did do the things that she did and it wasn't Candyman and then no, he comes back again to remind you that this is all real. He is real. And he is pulling all of the strings. And for a movie that is pretty gory, most of the more jarring things, it's all kind of handled off screen. Like you don't really see him doing a whole lot. Like you hear him ripping and we'll bring this up. Sounds very, uh, very sexual in a sense where it's like lots of grunting and just these really powerful sounds that he's making and at the same time you just hear this flesh ripping and tearing you don't see it you always see the aftermath you always see it at the end so like i think that's another way of the film messing with you and making you wonder like what exactly is going on like who who is really doing this because the first time when Helen blacks out and she wakes up and she's in that, she's in the bathroom, right? Yeah. yeah. And she wakes up and she's covered in blood. And I, I hadn't seen it in a few years. I think it was like two years or something. The last time I'd seen it before uh, the other night. And I was like, holy fuck, this movie is, oh, sh- this movie is fucking brutal. And it's just very, it's very effective at like misleading you for like what's happening. Not to mention just a lot of the imagery that is in that. 
because that's because still to this day one of the most haunting images that I pull from that movie is the um, and it's from they pull it from the forbidden is that um, graffiti that uh, they paint of his mouth open through the door still gets me still gets me yeah that's unnerving as shit uh, I was reading somewhere um, it was either Tony Todd or Bernard Rose saw Candyman as more of a romantic figure but like playing with the romance of death and just the weird sexually charged like darkness that Candyman has towards Helen it's a very interesting approach to take for a villain like this uh, it, it almost kind of endears you to Candyman in a weird way like he's so romantic you can't help but kind of be on his side at times He's very, he's very seductive. Yeah, he's, he's like Dracula. And that's a good comparison. I, I also think that there are some, there are some shots where the, the lighting is very soft. It's not done in a very harsh way. And a lot of soap operas do that for like these very romantic embraces and things like that. And it's, it's very jarring when you see something and the content of that image, what you know about it is terrifying and horrible. Then you also see it presented in such a pleasing way. Like it really messes with you and it kind of forces you to really question what you're watching. And you are for all intents and purposes, very sympathetic, but also very frightened at the same time for what Candyman is and what he is capable of doing. Oh yeah. Cause even you know, as seductive as he can be, there is pleasure in sticking a hook in another human being. There's a like a sick, twisted, like yeah, pleasure in just the noises he makes. Just like he a smile on his face. I think it wouldn't for me. Like other than this being a Clive Barker adaptation, like talking about that is to me what really hammer like drives to me a Clive Barker film. Because you know Clyde Barker's been known for like his mixture of sexual sexuality and violence, and that you know it's very evident here in Candyman. I mean, it's you know Hellraiser is evident, and very much so here in like this very twisted love story, almost with Candyman and um Helen. Yeah, it's like Hellraiser is sex and violence. Candyman is love and violence. It's yeah, that's cool. Yeah, well, it's not. I mean, it's, it's fucked up, but hey. <laughs> Teach their own. It's it's cool to talking about art, guys. We can call it cool if we want to. <laughs> uh, one more cast member I wanted to point out: uh, Vanessa Williams plays Anne Marie McCoy, whose baby is taken by the Candyman. She is also reprising her role in the new film and has appeared in such films as New Jack City, Like Mike, and she played Francine West on The Flash. Uh, Joe West's. X, who's like, hey, I'm dying, and by the way, you got a boy. I don't even remember that, but all right. That's how we got Wally West, who lasted all of like 16 episodes because he was annoying. Oh yeah, then they tried putting him in a different show, and then that didn't last. Yeah, uh, he was in that show for like an episode, like they barely tried. Yeah, they tried for a second, and then went out of the mark. But yeah. Uh, anyway, she. Yeah, I, I like her in this. I am glad to see her coming back. Again, you know, that keeping that link of what they're picking from this movie to carry over into the next film. Um, so it's cool to have her come back. Oh, yeah, for sure. 
because uh, you know she's she's got personal she had a personal connection with Candyman. Candyman tried to take her baby, and uh, it's never all that clear on why. But we'll get into it. I'm sure. Well, and it also makes sense in the trailer that like he doesn't know that much about that myth because of course she would hide it from him after what happened in this movie. She would not want to talk about it. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, um, Candyman has an IMDb score of 6.6, which I thought was low and a Rotten Tomatoes score of 76%. Grossed about 25 million on a budget of 6 million. I, IMDb says 6 million. Wikipedia says 9 million. So I'm not quite sure what the budget was here. <laughs> I would probably say it's probably somewhere in the middle of that. Yeah. Because even, even that, even like its theatrical release, I feel like where that movie really exploded was home video. Oh, yeah. Once people could like sit in their house and turn the lights off and fuck with each other watching that movie, it really, it really took on a light. Because that's where, that's where I found it. I mean, I was nine when it was first released. There's no way my parents are going to let me watch that or take me to go see something like that. Mm-hmm. Um I definitely had to find it and watch it because hearing about it at school and like you hear the older kids are like, Oh man, you guys, you can't even, you guys, you and hearing about it again, it's this weird way of how urban legends get passed around. It's this terrible game of telephone. So by the time you hear it, every bit of information has been cycled through 45 different people and they keep adding something to it. So it's totally different than what you saw. And people only highlight the most savage bits of it. Never mind the fact that there is at this weird, in this weird way, a a love story in this movie. And it's definitely like a monster and his bride type deal for sure. Mixed in again, like I alluded to earlier with stuff about, you know, racism and classism and gentrification and how places like Cabrini Green are just left to rot and the people that are there are just forgotten and left to fend for themselves. Um, the description that Clive Barker makes for the estate where Anne-Marie lives is really fucking terrible. Like, there's no maintenance done on the buildings. And they had garbage chutes, which quickly became overflowed because they weren't getting the trash wasn't getting taken out and it bred rats and then kids would set fire to that stuff and when helen first goes there it's uh like late fall winter time and she says that it's it's terrible smell but she can only imagine how bad it is in the summertime you think about living in a place like that and kind of just what that does to you and how that beats you down and how it messes with you and just makes you not want to leave your house because the minute you walk outside, you're just thrust into this world of shit and fucking rats and drug dealers wanting to to kill you and take your money and use your house as their fucking new manufacturing fucking site. Like just all of that, all of that is just, it's so depressing and it's so but it's also woven into this whole other thing. There's just so much that goes on in this movie. And I don't know if you've ever seen it. There's a documentary on Shudder called Horror Noir. And they talk about the history of uh, black film and black people in film. And Tony Todd's in it. 
um, Keith David, Ken Forey, like just some of the biggest um, names from the last 30, 40 years in film. And they go through the history of it and they talk about Candyman in there as well. Um, and I, and I think it's, I think it's very, um, very wonderful that this kind of movie can have the impact that it has. And the fact that somebody like Jordan Peele has grown up with it basically, and is now going to bring us something completely new, but also very familiar because some of the threads that you guys are, are mentioning in what he's using to connect his film and Nia DaCosta's film to this one is is very is very interesting and I can't wait I can't wait to see it oh yeah I've got tickets for Thursday evening like I'm seeing it as fast as I can Ooh, I think I'll have to wait until the weekend yeah I got Friday down so get on over here Friday after I try to do it at time because it's being in San Diego right now, I don't they get fucking traffic. I, traffic is horrendous here. So oh, I heard. Have to, yeah, I have to make sure I got times when I'm not going to be stuck in that bullshit. <laughs> it's funny. There's always traffic in California, but everyone there is constantly saying like, "Well, I don't own a car. I mean, you know, it's environmentally unfriendly." So well, like someone well, owned like a lot of people are lying. They are because oh my oh my god like. Dude, I remember just a quick aside. When I was traveling down here, <laughs> the trip was fine. And so I got to hit like LA onward. I'm like, I don't know where you Californians are saying you don't have fucking vehicles because I have seen nothing but vehicles. I've been stopping traffic forever. Jesus fucking Christ. San Diego, the infrastructure is at least built enough that for the most part you can get through. But yeah, you hit certain times like the morning and rush hour. Oh. <laughs> It's all the working class folks that are driving. Anybody that has actual money, they're not really driving themselves. They pay people to drive them. Yeah, they don't have to deal with it. That's still cars on the road. (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't help. That doesn't change anything. It sure doesn't, but it, (laughs) their minds, it does. It it changes for them because they're in the back sipping champagne (laughs) or they're try for tribes, right? That's the difference. Are doing blow or fucking I don't know. They're doing rich people stuff in the back of those limos. Okay. Usually it's know. all three at the same time. Chasing Sometimes. it down to baby's blood. Don't forget. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes just having orgies. I don't know. Shit goes on back there. The shunting happens in limos for all I know. That's called an LA woman. <laughs> uh. <laughs> oh boy. Uh you ever say something and then just imagine it being read back to you in court in 10 years? Uh, no, if I did, I no. would never speak. <laughs> no. Um, so Candyman spawned two sequels and has a, another sequel on its way Friday. Well, sequel, reboot, kind of quasi-hybrid thing. We'll see. It's doing a Halloween 2018. That's what it's doing. Yes. That's the new uh, thing. That's what we're getting. And I'm down with it. Well, let's talk some highlights. We've kind of already been doing this, and we kind of just organically. I, I don't really have to move on to this segment. It just kind of happens. It's just yeah. weird for me to be like, and now let's talk about the movie, but we've kind of been fucking doing that. Anyway. Um, I did Yeah, I did want to bring up someone we did not bring up in the cast list. 
that we need to recognize at the beginning of this, at the very opening five to ten minutes. Ted fucking Raimi. I, that's the first thing I had written down. Yeah, Ted Raimi cameo. Completely forgot about that. <laughs> I was, I was, I forgot he had the cameo at the end of my song. I was like, holy shit, it's Ted fucking Raimi. Doing what Ted Raimi does best in movies, drink beer and touch boobies. I like, is there a reason he's in this? Like, did he or Sam Raimi have anything to do with like? Yep. No, I don't think so. I think it was, I think it was just Ted Raimi. You know, he has that, he has that, hey, you look like a guy that could play a dude in a leather jacket, drinking some beer, trying to get laid. <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> every so often, Ted Raimi pops up and stuff outside of Sam Raimi's thing. Like, every so often, you can see what he, I was like, you know what, Sam, I'm going to go do my own thing real quick, but I'll totally be back for whatever Evil Dead, Spider-Man you got coming. <laughs> I always picture him as what's his is it what's his character's name in Spider-Man like Jameson's assistant Johnson or something. Probably. Oh, yeah, something like that. Something I can't remember the name. I know. Yeah, I remember who you're talking about. I don't remember the name though. I'm gonna look that up. That that's my favorite. Just his back and forth with J.K. Simmons, so fucking funny. Uh, yeah. Speaking of, how about that Spider-Man trailer? Oh. Oh my god i know we i know we just had a little thing about trailers before we recorded but fuck that one got me pumped i <laughs> i get your i love trailers i love a little tease you know a little aperitif i, I love that i uh, i think i get annoyed when they're like this is the fourth trailer like i don't need a fourth one dude like just i one, i'll give you that one yeah. is enough one is enough. I, I, I don't do, mind when they do, like, do a, like a good 30 second version of that, you know, to fit in between somewhere. Go for it. I don't need you to keep. And, and that's why I just usually stop after the first one. I'm just like that. Okay. Yeah. No, I get that. I'm down when they do like the teaser, that an actual teaser is like maybe a minute long. And then the actual, like, this is the official two and a half minute trailer. Usually anything beyond that is when I kind of check out and want to watch. I'm like, I don't need any more. I have enough in what you've presented. To judge on this movie or not, um, but this teaser, goddamn, holy fuck! You ever watch old trailers and realize that trailers kind of sucked until like 2010? Yeah, well, I, I think, think I think they just they were just very formulaic. It was very much like they they had the structure for them. You know, you have yeah. the guy who goes in a world <laughs> where there's no more beer. There's one man, really thirsty like and then you go explosions boobs you know like that's that was just that was just it and then you have the title and then then, boom there's the movie somewhere in the past 10 years i think trailers have really become an art form and there's a there's a good way to do it there's a there's a wrong way to do it but when a movie has a really good there's trailers i still think about from time to time like the man of steel trailer that thing gave me chills Movie, not so much, but the trailer. I was like, oh shit, Superman. I, yeah. No, yeah, I see that because I will say it. I, I mentioned I mentioned it. I forgot when I mentioned it to you, but like I thought the advertising campaign for Dump Read 2 was honestly god awful. Oh like none of those trailers pumped me up. I was I, I remember watching those going, You're not doing a good job pumping me up for this fucking movie. Like I'm not on board right now. Um, I will say though, like I remember for a long time, people like those like 
the much, I mean, the much older, much, much older. Like you're, they're in their late 40s, 50s fucking film fans. They were like, they just don't make trailers like they used to. And I remember when I kept hearing that, I made a point to watch trailers on any like fucking like movies from like the 70s or stuff that I own, like watch the trailers upon the Blu rays. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Because this trailer just is a narrator telling you exactly what happens in the movie. It insists the title like five fucking times. Oh my God. Yeah. I still remember, you know, if adventure has a name, it's Indiana Jones. I still remember those dog shit trailers. Yeah. I'm such great movies. Yeah. I'm like, I don't, where is your argument about they don't make them like they used to is coming from because they're kind of shit. It's like, I think the Jaws one, like it literally narrates the whole fucking plot line of the movie. And it says like Jaws like five fucking times. And then finally goes, come to a theater. You're you. On, um, on a recent Oscar Sunday, Austin and I were talking about movie posters. And now I think posters did the reverse. I think posters used to be gorgeous and elaborate works of art. And now they're just some asshole standing in front of a mountain, you know, looking at an alien invasion or whatever the fuck's happening this year. Dude, as, as much as I love the MCU, I have yet to get blown away by a fucking trailer, or not trailer, a poster that they have done for any other goddamn films. Yeah, you're it's not the wrong. Same goddamn poster every fucking time. Yep. Yes, it is. <laughs> ah, well, that was a fun rant. Uh, it's Hoffman, by the way, Ted Ramey's character in Spider Man. Hoffman. <laughs> All right, I'll go with it. You think he'll um, pop up in uh, Doctor Strange? Too? Yes. Yeah. He's gonna prop. Yeah, he's gonna pop up in that, or you know, maybe in the new Spider Man. Just when we see like you know Jameson in his office doing his fucking podcast Hoffman runs in gives him coffee and he's like get out of here <laughs> I would kill for that <laughs> I would love that oh boy this is this is magical uh so Candyman's origin story is incredibly dark uh you know he was a uh, fell in love with a white woman after the civil war was brutally murdered by white assholes who cut off his hand, put a hook there and just threw him into an apiary. Uh, Damn. Bees bees as well. An apiary. Oh, wait. Yeah. (laughs) I thought they took, I thought they took it and then like fucking threw it out and whatever. I don't see that or they like threw him into a, wasn't it like a, well, they, well, they took him to where there was a bunch of hives and they took out all the honeycombs. And they just covered him with honey in the bees. That's, there it is. Okay. So my mistake, not an apiary. But Caleb learned, learned a new word today. I did learn a new word. <laughs> Texas education at its goddamn finest. <laughs> oh, dude, I, I'm taking a class on the lineage of the Stuart family of, of the Stuart line of kings of England. I learned about 15 new words today. Today was the introduction class, and I know what the fuck he was talking about the whole time. I feel like so, Texas education is like, don't teach them anything that will hurt their brains. And then you go to college, and all of a sudden, college is like, now we're going to open the fucking book on you. Yeah. Buckle up, buckaroo. Literally, the first thing he said was, "Any all you guys who had me for this, like for the previous class, don't bo- like don't bother study, and this is going to be the same class pretty much. And I'm like, What? <laughs> What previous class? What are you talking about? I'm there in the back, like, I don't know British history. Help me, please. 
And you can't do that shit when you're a grad student. They treat you like an adult. I don't like that shit. I don't know the words coming out of your mouth there, teach. <laughs> oh, getting getting real about life. Oh, um, so yeah, the origin story told by that piece of shit professor who I've met three or four times. Uh, oh yeah, they're they're a dime a dozen. They're fucking everywhere. The worst teachers are the people who make you feel bad about learning. Wow. Um, they smell their farts. Yeah, they do. They love the sound of their own voice. They're just constantly filleting themselves with knowledge. It's the the worst human beings of the planet. Well, one of them. There's a, there's a list. There's a list. Just um, get really drunk around them and make a scene. They usually shut up. <laughs> Act like a complete idiot. Like, what's America? I've never heard of that. <laughs> like, just completely like blow their fucking mind. Put on like a really heavy southern accent. Just make yourself. <laughs> What came out of your mouth? You know what over here? Come on, boy. I didn't hear you. I never heard of Texas. Is that some kind of extra country? Oh, my God. I kind of want to try this. What's the Alamo? I'm going to get jumped. I do that shit down here. Yeah, don't do that. We need you. Look. Ozzy pissed on the Alamo. You'll be fine. He was not fine. He got like kicked out of the fucking city. <laughs> like 10 years. I mean, who cares? I don't think he's allowed to go back ever. No, he can. He's good now. Oh, they yeah, lifted but... the ban. Yeah. Honor is also not Ozzy Osbourne. You have to remember That's that. True. That's true. So they I don't have the clout to pull anything off. I will be killed. Yeah. And they have have to be nice to him now because he's been diagnosed with Parkinson's. So he has now the rich person pass of diagnosed with disease. He should do it again. <laughs> he should do it again and just watch the firestorm happen. Because <laughs> now he's got carte blanche. Like no one's going to call him on anything now. So now's when you piss on the Alamo. You know, he has a new reality show. Really? Oh god. Yes, his son Jack. It's uh the Osborne's want to believe. I watched it. It's like their son Jack showing him and Sharon different paranormal videos, and then they have to he's trying to can like see if they believe. And most of it's Ozzy bitching about the video, which is hilarious, and being like, This is stupid. <laughs> he made a whole series out of that concept. Yes. And god why am I still here in the Navy? I could go up to somebody and fucking say some shit like that, and that gets fucking picked up and gets you paid? Damn it. I want to go hunt werewolves with Keith Richards. Somebody give me a million dollars to produce this. No, fuck that. I want to go with Ted Nugent. Oh, that would be fun. I don't think I'd last with that motherfucker. I'd, <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't go in the woods with him. One of us ain't coming back. Probably me. <laughs> oh that's a i, I can't cat, believe that's a cat, show. cat scratch fever right out there yeah it's a show i i watched it i was like holy shit like i said it's like sharon believes and then ozzy's bitching about the video and then he has to ask him like to rate it how scary they thought it was and ozzy i don't think he's ever gone above five he's always giving it like a three or four he's like it's not fucking scary my favorite thing about this concept is that Ozzy Osbourne doesn't fucking care <laughs> that they made a show 
about Ozzy trying to believe in ghosts and he fucking doesn't. <laughs> and they still greenlit this. Yeah. And they have to constantly censor him. Like every time he talks and they still do the subtitle shit because you can't hear a goddamn thing he says. So there's the subtitles and they're constantly having like censor him because he won't stop saying fuck. He doesn't care. He's got Parkinson's. He's in his what? Like late 70s, early 80s? I think like, how old is he? Early 70s. 70s. I looked up. Can barely talk. He does not give a flying fuck. He hasn't for decades. <laughs> so, yeah, let him curse on television. <laughs> I guarantee you, anybody watching it doesn't care. <laughs> I, I, I thought it was funny. I was laughing my ass off. That's beautiful. Thank you for telling me that. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I forgot where we were. Candyman. That's right. <laughs> now I'm just thinking about Ozzy Osbourne watching ghost videos. <laughs> oh, boy. <sighs> so we talked about Candyman's introduction uh, in the parking garage. The overarching, you know, Helen, like his, like the way he says her name, it fills the whole damn garage. Uh, brilliant, so brilliant. You doubt not it. only that, like it sounds like it's coming from another world. Like it doesn't sound like it's echoing through that car park because it's 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 recorded on its own track and it's inserted and it that's what makes for me at least makes me makes me think that it's coming from somewhere completely different. And it's not even there. Like maybe it is in her head that she's hearing all of that until he shows up. And then you hear him speaking. You're like, oh shit. Like, is he here? And if he is here, he's definitely not like here, here. He's somewhere in between in a way. Yeah, definitely. This is a guy, you know, he, he exists like in, like just on the peripheral of our world. Like he's, you know, it's, he's not quite, where we are he's in his own domain and i think you know that's what, probably why he can just kind of move helen wherever he needs her to be covering her in blood and just wait for the reaction you know he gets off on this oh definitely well something i was thinking about just now while uh while you were talking is all of the art that's there because that is that is something that helen was studying in the forbidden and she was more interested in the semiotics of it, kind of like what they mean and what these are being used for. And I just started thinking about it since Candyman does seem to have this, this influence over people. If he is like working through other people, because remember his painting hand has been taken from him. And I can't imagine that these people are consciously painting the things that they were painting because if you remember when she goes through the and finds that room where he essentially lives there's all these like tableaus telling his story and i for me i don't i don't think that you know there were other people that knew about this stuff in the detail that they, that he knows his own life and what happened to him. And cause you, you see that Helen has is acting through Candyman. I think until he's finally like out 
and can influence the world on his own. It takes, cause I think he even says it like with, without their belief, he's nothing. Yeah. He, he's so ineffective kind of operates in a way like Freddy Krueger in that sense. Like if you don't believe in him, he's Jesus, he's powerless. So I'm, I'm wondering if people, cause he even refers to the people of Cabrini green as his congregation. He has like this very, and that also ties in with the music, which has a very like churchy vibe to it. Lots yeah. of organs and all of these other things. So I started thinking about it just now. It's like, Holy shit. Like I'm wondering if he was like kind of possessing these people and using them to paint these fucking terrible, like haunting images of his face and then like everything that happened to him. Cause I think the, the movie ends with um, this real close up on who we find out is, is like a, a woman that the, the woman that um, Candyman was killed over and she kind of eerily resembles Helen. So it's almost like this, this again, calling back to Dracula especially uh, Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula and how he sees his wife in Mina and kind of how he comes back to her. So, yeah, it was just something I, I started thinking about just now. And I was like, yeah, I mean, he does kind of use Helen to, to do some dirty deeds. And I'm wondering if he was using the other people to, to spray paint some of this stuff. Well, you bring up an interesting point with the, the art, so I was actually, when you said I was saying, I was like, that looks like something they're exploring in the upcoming one. In the trailer, if you notice, there's like scenes they show in the trailer of him like just kind of painting where it looks like not of his own accord. So I wonder if that's something that is like, like you were saying, like they picked up on and they're going to apply a little bit more of it into this upcoming one and show a little bit more of that in this upcoming movie. Yeah, I think that's insightful as hell. I think, you know, Candyman's whole deal is, you know, be my victim, tell my story. Like, he, he can't be forgotten. And this neighborhood will never forget him now after what went down in, in this movie. Uh, anybody who had their misgivings about Candyman, like, no, that fucker's real. We see that when the entire neighborhood of Cabrini Green goes to Helen's funeral. Uh, they know what happened. It's he did it, <laughs> but it looks like because they're fear they're suppressing it, and he has to make his grand reappearance in this new movie. He ain't happy anymore. <laughs> well, I'm also think, getting the oh, go ahead. All I was gonna say is I think that that has that has a lot to say about you can't bury an unpleasant history as much as you want to try and gloss it over and slap a new coat of paint on something or build a house on top of something, whatever existed before it is still there. Um, my hometown, Wilmington, North Carolina has a terrible past with one of the largest massacres of white on black violence in the entire country. Um, it was 1898, I think when a gang of white folks just started going through and like killing black people. And it's was chronicled in a documentary called Wilmington on fire. And there's a lot of older houses from that era and older that have slave quarters. There's talks of like, there actually being tunnels 
between some of these houses and under the streets and things like that. And there are a lot of people that didn't want that documentary to get made and didn't want it to come out because they felt like it was going to give that town a bad image. And also, but it's like, it's part of the town's history. Like they, they just went through, I saw a friend of mine who still lives there. He showed, uh, he posted a picture on his Instagram story of them removing one of these old Confederate dude statues. And I was like, that's effing great. Like, please get rid of that. stuff. it doesn't change that anything like that happened there. I don't think that those people should be, you know, honored and remembered like that. They, people like that should be consigned as a footnote in history. I don't think there, there, there should be those kinds of memorials because it's not about preserving anything like that. Like it, it stands for so much more. So many other people who hold those terrible views, see those as these bastions of the good old days, like we were just talking about and, and how things were so much better back then, which is such a crazy thought to have in your mind, even though we've just gone through a year previous where a man was murdered by a cop and what it did. And oddly enough, I also started thinking about this, like people using that phrase, say his name and kind of how it's, it's coming back around again with a lot of the advertising for the candy man that's coming out this weekend, same phrasing and all of that stuff. So I think, I think Jordan Peele and Nia DaCosta are kind of taking that and running with it and, and giving it a new, using it in a, in a different way. And I'm all about it. Yeah. Oh, me too, man. Yeah. I love the idea that this new one is, you know, potentially dealing with the idea that you can't erase your past. You can't just wipe, you know, like you said, put a fresh coat of paint on it and just ignore it. Cause you know, I'm a history grad student. I pay attention to this stuff and I, it pisses me off so much how so many States are trying to whitewash history class to just cover the positive shit and ignore like, you know, rewrite that slavery was a choice and just horrific shit like that. You can say it as much as you want. That does not change the fact that this country is built on blood for the most part. And I like that this new movie is addressing that kind of thing. Maybe, you know, if this is successful enough, maybe people will think twice. Yeah. Well, I know um, I've been reading some, Blaze guys has been putting up some interviews and stuff that they've been doing with the, the upcoming one. And yeah, it's like Josh said, they're really, you can't tell that's what they were running with. Um, Mia DaCosta has talked about it, which one that they are really looking at. They were really looking at like events today and they were making more like if there was ever, I think I read some of they were like, if there was ever a time to bring this character back, it's now. They're like, because yeah. this is still such a relevant character and the, the story is still so relevant. And they actually come to like, you know, it's sad that it's so relevant, but it is. And maybe, you know, this film can at least be a, a move in talking about this stuff more and bringing it up to light and addressing it more. Absolutely, man. I was reading, um, I remember when I did my review of Candyman last year, I found out that uh, Candyman is the only, at the time, I don't know if still, the only black serial killer in horror movie history. One, I can't think of a no one off the top of my head, honestly. Can you I, I fact-checked this shit. I was, I was sure. I was like, there's no way. And 
I couldn't find anybody else. Not nothing's coming to mind right now. Um, so yeah, they they might be right. Cause I'm not. I'm not. I got nothing. I mean, and there there might be a a few reasons why something like that hasn't happened. I mean, the the genre or subgenre rather of slashers kind of had their had their moment and they've kind of died away a little bit. Um, there are still traces of it going around. There's that whole, um, was it, it's called, isn't that series called Slasher, isn't it? Are you mm-hmm. talking about uh, the new season that just popped up on Shutter? Yeah, but it was it like, like, it's like, it's just called Slasher, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's just so, called Slasher. Yeah. So there's that. Um, it is a, it is an interesting subgenre to work in. I mean, there's a lot of baggage that comes with it and to try and separate yourself from that is very different. And I also think that you're probably not going to catch a lot of white people green lighting a movie where a black person is the villain and murders people. I feel like they they would be a little too afraid on the surface to tackle that kind of thing. Um, which is probably another reason why the other two Candyman movies aren't as successful and probably not remembered as fondly as the first one. Cause I think the first one has a lot to say. And I'm after reading uh, an interview in a, the, the current Fangoria with Nia DaCosta, I'm, I'm very confident that we're going to get something that is going to work on a few levels for the audience oh yeah i think so too like uh oh go ahead sorry i was about to say i also think thinking about the, like the slasher and black circuit i think like between the current revival almost that we're kind of having thanks to the success of 2018's halloween and you know now with this upcoming camera and how he's on stuff come back who knows maybe if you know especially if came is successful we could start seeing more of that kind of diversity in the slasher subgenre, especially if you get, you know, more, uh, you know, black people behind the camera that wanted that want to do this and, you know, they want to do it and put their story on it. And I, I'm all for it. I'm, I'm all to see what happens, especially, you know, when this new Candyman comes out. So it, it could change. Hopefully it will change. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, guys. That scene where the hook comes through the medicine cabinet scared the shit out of me. I completely forgot about that. Fun fact, she didn't know it was going to happen. <laughs> That's awesome. It's fucked up, but it's awesome. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I think like like the director and all of them knew, but they didn't tell her. So like her reaction when his fucking thing, his hook goes through there is genuine. She was quite literally surprised i think she was on her mark or he would have just like fucked up her smile well, yeah <laughs> oh, i mean um, that's the kind of shit i would do if i was a director just because <laughs> just because you really want to capture that moment and you really want it to be genuine because no matter what like somebody somebody could know it's coming and you still don't get that full effect. You don't get that raw moment of pure fright. And yeah, that shit works. I love it. 
Yeah. I thought it was creepy that you can just like in the projects, just push out your medicine cabinet and you're in someone else's fucking apartment. Like that is terrifying. That, that, yeah. That's a huge fucking like, man, when she did that, I remember watching, I going, dude, I'd be out of that fucking apartment so fast. Like I'm not staying there. If I know that all you gotta do is take off the fucking medicine cabinet. And you're in my place. I watch too much Mr. Nightmare and top 15s, top fives on fucking YouTube. Not fucking happening. <laughs> yeah. But you know, a lot of these guys don't have a choice. They got nowhere else to go. That's the unfortunate she can truth. Afford that condo, she can afford to get the fuck out of there. Well, I meant I meant Caprini Green. She can. Well, she's a oh, grad yeah. student. But yeah, I guess Lyle's paying for this apartment. Oh yeah, totally. that's true. Yeah, I'm a grad student. I don't make dick, so I can't afford a condo. <laughs> that really pissed me off. Like that she was a grad student with like a, this really nice apartment. I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah, but Connor, if you just learn to shake your bits for the right man, you could have a nice place to live. All right, so it's all I gotta do, all I gotta do is fuck a teacher and I get my I get my condo. Yeah, don't yeah. don't fuck the students, fuck the teachers. Be smart about it. Be yourself a sugar mama, Connor. I believe in you. <laughs> <laughs> Be smart about it. <laughs> oh, I hope anybody on the campus gets to this episode. Anybody. I'm, I'm, I'm going to end up in front of the honor code. I'm sure there's Bang. someone like hot fucking I'm sure you got like at least what some attractive voice on the old female teacher there that's single. Jesus. Come on. <laughs> oh, that's fucked. Because I'm thinking about a few people. <laughs> I'm like, hmm. I was just so, drunk, so I was just drunk enough. Is, so what you're saying is you're making a list. That's <laughs> what I'm saying is the list is made. <laughs> so you're like, you are that guy. You're you guys just are coming in at the end of this project, my friend. <laughs> as long as we're included, that's all that matters. <laughs> Oh, the you can come by my condo whenever you want. You should have yes. upset guy's question then and just been like, look, I know that weirdo asked about the teachers. Can we fuck the teachers, though? <laughs> is, oh, that, wow. is that okay? <laughs> I get it, students, hard pass. I just need to be clear, clarified on the teacher part. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> um. The bees, the bees. Praise to Tony Todd for going through with that. Hey man, he got paid for every one of those bee stings. I know. That's that's being smart. That's knowing what you're walking into and being like, if I'm gonna do this, I'm getting paid for it. But it is like, it is seriously one of the most frightening things I have ever seen in a movie. And he's just like, he's owning it. He ain't flinching. He ain't doing shit. He's just going for it. And it was. Brutal. I've been stung a few times. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. Down here, we got those red fucking wasps. Those things are straight out of hell. Oh, dude, those things are the devil. Fuck those. I have. Oh yeah. Uh, I heard Tony Todd said. I think I heard you. It was like a thousand per bee sting. Thing is what I heard. Yeah. He got stung yeah. thirty-two times. He walked away with thirty-two thousand extra. Just for that scene. God damn. 
Good for him. He's got a good. He's got a good agent. <laughs> yeah, he ain't fucking around. Candyman don't play. <laughs> I also read that hit um, Candyman's footsteps uh, cannot be heard at any time in the movie. Anytime he's walking, you can't hear his footsteps. Damn, I didn't even think that. about that. Yeah, they cut that out just to make him seem just a little bit creepier. Well, yeah. Well, okay. I mean, a, a lot of things that that he does make no sense. Like after he kills that therapist, he just gets yanked through the window. Like, what is that all about? You know, like just just crazy stuff. Again, challenging you, like what you what you think you're seeing, because what is what happens right after that? Helen escapes through that. You know, it's like, does she throw a chair there? You know, like how like how exactly does she get out of that chair? And like all of these things is just like messing with you the entire time. Yeah. Well, in the end. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. When she's strapped to the, the gurney, whatever, and he's just floating above her, and then he floats down. And she's trying to say, like, he's under the bed, he's under the bed. It's not there. So it's <laughs> like, was he there to begin with, Helen? Were you just talking to yourself there? Well, I think the ending with Xander Berkeley saying Helen's name in the mirror five times proves that it, it was all real. Because then he has an incident with, I guess, the new like candy girl or whatever. I don't know. How that yeah, worked well, or what that meant? But. I guess, yeah. Well, I guess I think the the after the Jack the Ripper proposal, uh, his more fa- his more traditional sequel, I think he said would have followed her as the as the new one. It would have continued her storyline. Nah, I think you know I don't remember who said it, but yeah, after this, Tony Todd's the face of this franchise. Like Candyman is an icon now. Like we can't oh, just follow absolutely. another character. Absolutely. Yeah. I think I think the way I took that ending is he is having a genuine moment of grief and sadness. And he's he's saying her name. And I'm like I remembered counting this time as I was watching it, and I was like, You motherfucker. Yeah. You, oh, you're fucking dead. And it just it's perfect. It is like, it is exactly because when she got there and she saw that he was trying to erase her, again, slapping a new coat of paint on something, trying to forget about it. Guess what? You can't do that. It's going to come back to get you. All your mistakes are going to be right there because they don't go away. You either learn from them and move on and still remember them or they will fucking rip you apart, literally and figure. Yeah, that's how I took. That's how I, because Helen redeems herself, even though everybody at at one point thought that she, you know, took that baby and killed him and all that. Like she goes in and she saves him, and essentially, like quote unquote, kills Candyman. Um, but yeah, she she totally re- redeems herself and endears herself to those people because in a way she helps them get rid of him in a sense, even though she ends up dying because of it. And yeah, totally, uh, totally gives fucking that douchebag everything he deserves. I just wish, I just wish that she would have killed that stupid girl too. Oh, dude. When she walks, when Helen walks in and she just starts crying, like sack up. I mean, you're, 
like you can sleep with a married man. You can't confront his psychotic, possibly murderous ex-wife. Well, I think that also has something to say about just how naive and frightened she is when like the reality of what she's actually doing comes at her and just shows how much of a child she still is. Like she's, she's sitting there playing house thinking this is all just some kind of game for her. It's she's not thinking about the actual implications of it all. And on top of that, when you really look, I, and I've heard other actors say this before, the, the way that they make the face that they're crying is, is like they're laughing. And if you, and if you really look at that girl, she is, she's definitely laughing. Like, like, look at it, look at her again and tell me you can't see that. That's interesting. I thought it was creepy how Xander Berkeley walks in and is like, Oh, did you make a boo-boo? Like he's talking to her, like she's a child, just adding to that layer. Like this dude is such a creep. Oh, totally. Um, I kind of took Helen's transformation as kind of a like a Pirates of the Caribbean flying Dutchman. There must always be a captain kind of thing. There must always be a candy man. There must, you know, the boogeyman can't be killed. That kind of thing. Like someone must become him. I don't know. It was just that, uh, that scene was so bonkers to me. I tried to find anything. Uh, justify it that's what i always get as because i always get the feeling that with candy man like you know at the end day for him it's just a title but in his head as long as that fear is there in the name then anyone can bring that mantle right and so for him he's like okay i'm getting almost like in his own way like tired i need it i need someone else to continue this and that's how so that's why i took it as like like okay he's like wanting her to take his place and it it looks like that's what they're kind of doing with this upcoming one yeah. as well. You know, he's getting that little boy like he wanted again. So the Candyman name can continue, even if he's not necessarily the Candyman anymore. You think he just gets the hook? Do you think he gets that really awesome coat too? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's oh, yeah. a package deal. Come on. <laughs> that's how he sells them. Hey, look, you be Candyman, okay? You're going to get a nice little hook for her hand. And if that doesn't sell you, track it, like, all the time. <laughs> Even in the summer when it's blistering hot, you still get the jacket. Don't worry. And you know what else you get? You get these really awesome shoes that don't make a sound. You want to know what I call them? Sneakers. <laughs> yeah, Joe, I'm here all night. You know what, kid? You, you like yourself some bees? Oh, got lots of bees for you as well. Only thing is, someone says your name five times in the mirror. You got to show up within an hour. <laughs> Tick tock. You're on call, so just keep that part in mind. Twenty four seven, you're on call. You better like memorize the city. I just love the idea of like a Candyman who isn't quite hasn't quite figured out the powers and is like driving <laughs> to like meet. He just like bursts into the apartment like, did I miss it? Did I miss it? They they still here. <laughs> I would love to see like the retired Candyman, like Tony Todd, just like chilling in like an easy chair, reading a book, just enjoying retirement, picking out fruit in a bowl with his hook. <laughs> <laughs> just a big thing of grapes, like a Roman emperor. 
he, he hears the name five times and just puts a smile on his face knowing he doesn't have to answer. He's just like, ah, yes. Not my problem. But he hears the new guy fucking it up too and he's just like, like rustles the newspaper a little, a little irritatingly. Like, <laughs> looking at the obituaries, a little light today. Jesus Christ, Anthony. <laughs> we talked about this. Showmanship, you have is half of this thing. (laughs) Oh boy, this is fun. (laughs) Here are some filmgasm facts for Candyman. There was, in fact, number one, a Candyman killer, a real one. Uh, Dean Coral was a serial killer in the Houston area who raped and murdered numerous boys from 1970 to 1973. He would lure children into his home using candy from his family's factory, so the media dubbed him the Candyman. Dean Coral had two teenage accomplices who helped lure the young boys, but when Dean plotted to rape and kill one of them, they shot and killed him. And um, the show Mindhunter has an interview with the, uh, with the guy who killed Dean Coral, who was the Candyman killer. And that's just super extra disturbing to me, that there really was a Candyman. Like, <laughs> He didn't rip any dicks off like in the movie, did he? Please tell me he didn't. No. No. Maybe. I don't know, honestly. I don't know the answer to that question. Well, I gotta listen to Time Suck again. Well, or or you can listen to the last podcast on the left. They did a they did a little uh, series on him as well. I could, but I got some I got loyalty to the Time Suck. You can listen to other podcasts. No, I can't. No, I cannot. Maybe. Would I'll it, check it out. Would it make you feel any better if you knew that one of the hosts was from Texas? Not, I'm not even from Texas. <laughs> you live in Texas makes, now, so technically you're from Texas. It makes me happy. He's from Lubbock. <laughs> I'm from Cascade, Maryland, folks. But still. Wow. Don't worry, I'm from Texas. <laughs> Nobody asked you. You don't have to. I'm the greatest goddamn country ever. Tejas. Woo! Uh, but yeah, there is. Uh, I remember hearing that episode, and it was just super disturbing. Just the what this guy did, and like how he did. You know, be, being a local guy who worked in a candy store, being a, a, like a diddler, just so fucked up. And then his accomplice was like, "I don't want to do this anymore," and killed him. It's crazy. But uh, yeah, Candyman. Uh, number two, we talked about this. Tony Todd negotiated a bonus of $1,000 for every bee sting he suffered during filming, was stung 23 times, walked away with a cool 23000 So not 32. I, I, I switched it. It's 23. Still good money. Yeah. Um, number three, Eddie Murphy was considered for the title role, but was deemed too short at 5'9". They chose Tony Todd because he is 6'5". Way more imposing. And his voice is much more imposing than uh, Eddie Murphy. Yeah. This movie would have flopped so hard if it was Eddie Murphy. (laughs) Um, Number four, I found this very interesting. Clive Barker has confronted a number of academics who have accused him of taking advantage of and using an African-American urban legend. And he confronted them with the simple fact that he created the story of the Candyman and that it was, in fact, not an actual urban legend. And also, in the story, the Candyman is a white guy. So 
I love that people were like, how dare you appropriate this culture? And he's like, I fucking made this up. <laughs> oh, that's great. I will send you the, the lines from The Forbidden where he essentially is pretty much giving the finger to academics. And it's, it's perfect because it really just sums up their pompous attitudes for the majority of them. The ones who have this self in this inflated sense of self and who, you know, if, if they didn't know about it, then it, it's not worth knowing. And, and just really arrogant fuck faces like that annoy me. Oh, hell yeah. They're the worst. Uh, there were two direct video sequels. Neither will, were uh, well received. First up, there was 1995's Candyman Farewell to the Flesh. Uh, Candyman goes to New Orleans, sets his sights on a young woman whose family was destroyed by him years earlier. Uh, Do you guys see Candyman 2? I did. Um, I don't really remember it too much. I think I saw it like maybe two or three times, but that was also about 20 plus years ago. And I think I think the problem with these is that they try to go in another direction with it in a way and kind of explore which on the face of it doesn't sound like a bad idea to explore his his origins and his roots and where he came from and where it happened and all that stuff but then it but then like it begs the question how did he get from supposedly down in new orleans to chicago how did that happen you know so that just that just brings up more questions than it answers so it just wasn't they just weren't that good I, I i'm not a fan of them and i think i only saw the third one once and that was enough for me. <laughs> how about you caleb have you seen Candyman two or three i have not i've heard of their i've heard of how bad they are i will one day watch it just to say i've seen two and three uh, but I'm not rushing that one. Even my completion's mind is like not rushing that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've heard I've heard like two is like I heard two is bad, but like you can at least get through it. And then I've heard three is just absolute dog shit. Like most people are like Josh. They say like they've seen it once, so like I'm never gonna watch that again. Well, three is 1999's Candyman Day of the Dead. This time, Candyman tries to seduce his descendant into joining his killing spree. Uh, yeah, all, both these films are horribly well received, horribly received, and uh, nobody really associates them with the '92 classic. Um, the new Candyman is a direct sequel to the first film and follows Anthony, the baby who survived Candyman's wrath, as a grown man learning about Candyman in the now gentrified neighborhood of Cabrini Green. Early reviews are fairly decent, and I'm so excited. Yeah, I mean, if I know we've said it like probably damn near ad nauseum on this point in the episode, but yeah, very excited for this new one. All the reasons we talked about during this episode, just I can't wait. I think when it it's like when it comes to established, you know, I talked about it last week with like Nighthouse. When it comes to established horror franchises that we're getting like this and Halloween cares have been like Halloween kills have been like the two biggest ones for me because of like established IP horror films we're getting. Yeah. And I think we're overdue for a, I feel like horror this year outside of shutter has not been great. 
Uh, so I'm I'm looking forward to a win here. Yeah, yeah. I will I will say financially it's been great. Somehow horror has just said pandemic. Fuck that. We're going to keep making money. That's true. That's true. I'm thankful for that. <laughs> um. So I give Candyman an eight. It's a horror classic. Still holds up and creeps me out. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I texted you because I had it at a seven. That was my initial when I like told you when I got I first watched it. I think eight films an eight for me. It's so fucking smart. Tony Todd is iconic, classic film. Love this movie. Eight. Nine hooks out of ten, or <laughs> nine dog heads out of ten. Whatever you want to. Whatever you want to. Jesus. No, I'm joking. Okay, I love dogs. Just kidding. But yeah, nine out of ten. I was getting scared for my own I dog. Because, I think because the the other elements, the sound design, the music, the um, the the repetition of certain images with like the the overhead camera shots of the city and just kind of how they are continually used throughout and just how this movie goes and goes and goes until it's just completely bananas and ends in a ball of fire. This movie is wonderful. And I think the fact that it is managed to influence someone like Nia DaCosta and Jordan Peele to take ownership of it and make it their own is quite a remarkable thing. The fact that we're still talking about this movie and it's nearing its 30 year anniversary, that that definitely says something. Oh, totally, man. This is uh, a legacy film now. It's uh, one of the most, I, I think, iconic films or iconic horror films of the 90s, maybe ever. Uh, I think a lot of that, I've, I've, I love, I absolutely adore. Philip Glass's score in this film. It's one of my favorite horror film scores of all time. It's so ethereal and creepy and like, but also like you could dance to it at like a fancy dress ball. It's, it's so, it's so layered. And yeah, the performances are great. Tony Todd is amazing and uh, it's freaky. And I'm glad we finally were able to talk about it here. Yeah. It, uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, the common thing with the 90s and the horror genre is like, you know, that's when the horror genre died and it didn't come back till Scream came out. Now, there were those movies like Candyman that were coming out in the 90s that need to be talked about more that do have such a massive legacy. Like, horror just didn't have like the crazy 80s decade, but what it was coming out with in the 90s was quality, a lot of quality horror films like Candyman. So, yeah. I don't think Scream made horror die. I do think Scream made horror eat itself. No, no. It, it came back. Well, I mean, it's like horror died until Scream came out. Oh, okay. I gotcha. Yeah. I don't agree with that either. That's a weird thing. Yeah. Like, what killed it then? It, so, like, it's kind of getting taken back as the years have gone on. But, like, the big thing is that, like, supposedly because the whole, you know, slasher decade of the 80s hit. And after that, like, you know, their sequels in the 90s got less money. And, for some reason, the, the theories that all the studios were like, no one wants horror anymore, so they stopped making a shit ton of horror films. But again, it's not, and then that's what led to the theory that horror died, but then, like, Scream came out and, like, revived it. And it's like, 
there was actually a lot of good quality horror films in the 90s coming out before Scream. Scream, I would, has become probably the most iconic of that decade. One could make that argument. Maybe. Sounds more like horror, like like horror didn't die. The fucking slasher film did. The, yeah, the slow subgenre of slashers heyday was done, but we were still getting quality horror films in the nineties. Honestly, yeah, Silence of the Lambs for fuck's sake. I don't. Know. I, that's I just I don't like I don't like that. St- I don't like blanket statements like that. I think it. Like, like I said, I've, I've noticed in recent years it's been getting taken back by a lot of the newer generation horror fans. So hopefully, eventually, that stigma goes away. Hopefully. Uh, Thanks for listening, everybody. Next week, we are revisiting another horror classic that was done on this podcast by myself in the early days. An American joins a prestigious ballet academy in Germany that turns out to be a front for a terrifying cult of witches. Arguably the masterpiece of Italian horror director Dario Argento. Next week, we are revisiting the 1977 classic Suspiria. Oh, this is long overdue. Yeah, I am extremely excited about this. Um, it is probably one of my favorite movies of all time. It really was my entrance into Italian horror movies. I think that was probably the case for the majority of people that ever really get into Italian cinema. They 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 take this route. It is because it's. It's such a fascinating movie to and it's and it hits you on so many levels and it sets up a lot of the I don't I don't want to use the word tropes, but it's it sets up a lot of the mechanics of what Italian movies are as far as how Americans view them. A lot of them are always a lot of them are dubbed, so you don't really have because they used actors that spoke different languages. So what they would do is they would just shoot and a lot of times if they were Italian actors they use their own language and then they would just get their voices dubbed and it's it creates this weird sensation of you're watching a person whose native language is probably English dub their own voice in English and then it it, it has this weird way of like taking you out of it for a second but then as you come to understand that and process it and know that that's what you're watching, it just becomes its own thing. It just becomes another part of the film that you're watching. And it's just such an amazing, amazing looking film and a lot of genuinely artful images in it. Yeah. And I do want to take this moment to offer my own little memoriam about Sonny Chiba. Um, it's extremely sad. And my friend Ty, it pretty succinctly we were we were going back and forth about it and how in the hierarchy of the kung fu movie masters you do have sonny chiba bruce lee gordon Liu, those guys and my friend ty said bruce lee would come at you and talk about the philosophy of fighting and why he does what he does which is cool that's fine Sonny Chiba would rip your dick off and wipe his hands on your pants. That's that's the biggest distinction from them. And that's probably why I love Sonny Chiba so much more is because he just he literally embodied the fighter, the ass kicker of it all. Bruce Lee was a lot more flashy 
in his films, he was a lot more, a lot more of a of of a of a star in that regard. Sonny Chiba was just there to show up and beat some ass and leave leave you with an impression. So yeah, um, I uh, I definitely echo your sentiments. Like I don't really give two shits about the Oscars, but I do hope that they do make sure to include him in there because I know at least one person that would voice their opinion on that matter. <clears throat> and that would be Tarantino himself. So I'm pretty sure he's going to have something to say about that because nobody wants Tarantino to rant at them and yell at them and call them idiots for not including one of the greatest actors of all time. Damn right. Well said. Yeah. Rest in peace, Sonny Chiba. Heavy loss. Uh, we talked a bit about him in uh, this past week's uh, uh, sneak preview episode when Caleb and I did the Nighthouse. And uh, yeah, he was just a titan in the martial arts film industry and, you know, got a bit of a American boost with Kill Bill. A lot of people know him as Hattori Hanzo, myself included. I've still got to check out a lot of his work. But, uh, you know, my dad was a big fan. Always raved about the Street Fighter. <laughs> so check this out. I caught uh, I caught an interview that Keanu Reeves did in Japan promoting John Wick, and he starts talking about a lot of the great martial arts actors, and he literally says Sonny Chiba's name, and who should walk out? Fucking Sonny Chiba himself, and. Like to see Keanu Reeves literally like have a fanboy moment. He's just like, oh my, Sonny Chiba standing in front of me. And he's like, so gracious. So like Sonny Chiba's like, I really loved your film. Like, you know that that made him feel so good to hear somebody like him tell him that you made a wonderful action film and that Sonny Chiba's giving you praise. And he's just like, just totally just gushing about it it's amazing it's amazing that is, that is so fucking cool wow that's awesome sorry uh, john wick sunny chiba oh man if it weren't for fucking covid sunny chiba could have been like one of the you know retired assassins just walking around the continental or something i know right because they keep pulling in i mean we had the the raid guys in the third movie we're getting donnie in and this one like they keep grabbing them and i'm fucking loving it um wow that yeah i can't create my fans on that i'm not gonna lie i did i did did some change somewhere after this uh with that said psa if it can take sunny chiba go get a goddamn go get vaccinated america the pfizer one has been approved by the fda yeah Seriously, this is year two of the pandemic. Stop fucking around. Get your vaccine. Oh, boy. Uh, covering a lot of ground today. I like it. Um, so, yeah, we got Suspiria next week. Um, it'll feel good personally to give this film its proper due, which I certainly did not do back in 2019 when I gave um, an, I made an 18-minute episode that covered the 77 and 2018 versions of Suspiria because it was like episode nine or something and I was alone and I didn't know what to do. And I thought I should just talk about this movie. I talked way too fucking fast. I had no one to bounce shit off of and it was 18 minutes long. So 
yeah, we're doing it again. <laughs> um, also, I don't miss. Hmm? I was going to say I could talk for twenty minutes about Goblin, so let's 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 do it. <laughs> awesome. Don't miss a Best Picture Showdown on 1946's The Best Years of Our Lives on Oscar Sunday. And, of course, the brand-new Candyman on Monday's sneak preview. Until then, don't say his name in the mirror five times unless you want to enter a world of pain. Instead, how about you keep watching movies? (laughs) 